The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Radio Show, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, we discuss the chocolate industry and how one company is making a difference by making their chocolate without the use of illegal slave labor. It's all about fair trade practices. Plus, later we'll tell you what's going on around town. But first up, Peter Zandi is originally from the Netherlands and started working with Tony's Chocolonely four years ago to help launch Tony's Chocolonely in the United States. Prior to working for Tony's, Peter worked at several food and wine companies in the U.S. and the Netherlands. Peter currently lives in Portland with his wife and two kids, and he loves the Pacific Northwest and is happy to be in the Southern California area to catch some sunshine. And we welcome him to the Mother's Market Radio Show. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kim. Thanks for being here. Why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Yeah, so the, Tony's Chocolone was started in the Netherlands about 13 years ago by actually a TV show and an investigative journalist. And so this TV show, it's kind of like the food police on TV. So mm-hmm. they will research uh, issues in the food industry. Um, they may look into, uh, for example, like why chicken breasts um, are so large these days because of like the growth hormones that um, are being put in there. And about 15 years ago, so like I think 2003, 2004, they started hearing these stories about child slavery in West Africa in uh, on the cocoa farms. And they like sort of like dig a, dug a little deeper, like started to do some research and found out that like large chocolate companies had um, assigned a standard protocol in 01 saying they would eradicate child slavery um, by 2005, but not much was being done. So um, like, yeah, one thing led to another and they started like Tony's to create awareness around these issues and really show that things can be done differently. Hmm, how interesting. Um, this is this is great. So today, obviously, we're talking about the chocolate industry and um, more specifically using illegal slaves to make chocolate. And obviously, that's not the way you guys do this. So, Peter, I understand that your company works to create a slave-free industry. And can you tell me a little bit more about the slavery issues that are, go on in the cocoa industry? Yes, it's been, I mean, this has been happening for like a very, very long time. Um, it's all directly related to the, the poverty in um, in the region. Um, and basically, um, there's, the way the industry is organized is that there are um, a couple of million farmers, like, and we mostly focus on West Africa. The situation is probably like somewhat better in South America. So cocoa grows in sort of like this band um, around the equator, um, really just like around the world. But about 60% of the cocoa in, uh, in the world is grown in the, uh, two countries, really, in West Africa, Ghana and Ivory Coast. And so um, there's a couple of million farmers there. Uh, and of course, we know there are like millions, like maybe billions like of consumers of, um, of chocolate. But in the middle are really only a couple of really large chocolate companies. And sort of the power in uh, the industry is very concentrated like um, by these uh, or in these companies. And so it's in the best interest to, um, yeah, like try to keep the pricing like relatively low. Um, so yeah, that's great, great poverty, and like basically, like the only way many of these farmers can make it is by reverting to illegal child labor. Mm. 
How many people are employed under illegal circumstances? I know you mentioned a couple of millions, but how many? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of million farmers like in West Africa. And so um, Tulane University um, comes out with a report every couple of years. And um, the most recent report stated that there's about like 2 million children that work under illegal circumstances in um, on the cocoa farms. And like illegal circumstances, like it's sort of like a wide range of like things that are not, not allowed according to both the UN as well as like local legislation. But this, this could range from like children um, doing dangerous work, children doing uh, not allowed uh, to go to school because they have to work on the farms. But it also includes children that are truly being like trafficked and bought and sold mm. um, in order to work on um, on the farms under like really bad circumstances. How young are these children? Are we talking about? So it it ranges from like children as young as maybe like ten mm. to um, to eighteen. Wow, where are these problems? Um, you know, you mentioned Ghana and the Ivory Coast. Um, can you expand a little bit more on this? Yeah, it's, it's basically, um, it's across Ghana and, uh, and the Ivory Coast. And some of these kids come from like other surrounding countries. So they are basically um, like people go into their villages, like um, it's like a, it's a very poor region. So people will go into the villages, promise like uh, families that um, their kids will find like good work, make good money, um, have a good life. And um, yeah, then these kids are basically like transported to Ghana and Ivory Coast and end up like working on the farms and don't get paid anything. Mm. Um, and so like we work um, obviously to like try to like combat those issues, but we've also been working like trying to sort of like help those kids that uh, have been able to escape um, rebuild their lives. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. Um, and again, it, it does come down to the poverty issue, and then um, then you see that that trafficked, uh, the trafficking issue, and it's just yeah. And it's like what was very difficult in the beginning when this TV show started, like investigating this, was um, like how this all sort of like came to be, and how the whole industry um, industry works. So what what they like so when they started digging and. Uh, like they found out that like in the U.S. this standard particle was um, was signed, was that there's no traceability in the supply chain. So nobody, like when you eat a chocolate bar, um, unless it's like a direct bean to bar, like nobody really knows where exactly those cocoa beans are um, are from. So it's a, it's a great way, what's well, a sad way, but it's like, it basically means that like large companies are um, not are able to like not take responsibility for what's truly happening on the farms, and they acknowledge that there are issues in West Africa, and there certainly are some programs that they are trying to um, to support to combat these issues. But in our um, our opinion, you can only really work towards a solution if you take responsibility for where your product comes from, where your ingredients come from. So. Like we say that like okay traceability is sort of like a key component in really fighting um, child slavery on these uh, these farms in West Africa. Right, you're shining a light on what the where the issues are, and I remember um, a while ago, years ago, when they shined the light on uh, the child slavery issue and on making. Um, on making clothing, and you saw the child laborers happen there, and I just remember what uh, how awful that was. But I just didn't realize that this was right. happening in chocolate. Yeah, and I think like, 
the moment that happened and it was linked directly to some cer uh, to certain companies right. like those companies sort of like sprang into action because hope, there yeah. was a consumer backlash right. and that doesn't exactly happen uh, the same way in the chocolate industry because nobody is tied directly to the uh, the terrible circumstances on the farms right well and good for you for for taking action and doing something about this um, so your company was started in 2005 do these problems Problems still exist, and I mean, your company is doing something about this. Yeah, sadly enough, it's, uh, they do. Um, and so, Tulane University started doing research um, shortly after 2001, and sort of this research was initiated by this Senate protocol that was signed. Um, and so, the most recent research that they did shows that the problem is actually only getting worse. And yeah, it's um, and I, I I went to Ghana myself a couple of years ago, um, like mostly visiting our farm. So I didn't actually see uh, see child labor, but like you see the circumstances of like uh, what these uh, how these people live, and you understand that it happens. And unless the price of uh, the cocoa for the, that the farmer is is paid goes up, I mean this is not going to change. And um, the price of the of cocoa on the world market has been going uh, going up and down quite a bit over the years. But at the end of the day, the farmer still doesn't receive like anything more than they received maybe like 20 years ago. So what what about fair trade? And can't consumers just buy fair trade chocolate? And can we feel comfortable about the illegal fair trade? Yeah, that's um, that, that's a good question. And like we consider fair trade to be a great first step. In, um, in solving some of these, uh, these issues. But um, as far as we are concerned, we consider to be ourselves like a, uh, a critical member of the fair trade um, community. And we work very closely with the fair trade organization in the, in the Netherlands trying to like um, make the regulations, um, I'm not sure what the right word is, like more stringent, like make sure that there's more follow through uh, with regards to like inspections on the farms. Right. Because what happens is that like the fair trade inspector cannot be there all the time, so um, and often like yeah they kind of like arrive um, on the farm, but they like let them know a couple of days ahead of time that they're going to be coming because they're going to have to go over a whole lot of things in order to like make sure that like the farmer can keep his fair trade certification. But obviously like if they know ahead of time that somebody is coming. Then um, yeah, that you won't you find any children right um, on be the farm. The best behavior, right? No. So um, the other issue with fair trade is that like when you buy um, a fair trade um, product, well, I can only really talk for, about cocoa um, chocolate bar, that is um, not necessarily um, like always like fair trade beans. Like if it's a direct bean to bar, it's um, it's fair trade, um, or it's like you know where the beans uh, beans come from. But it's kind of like wind energy, where you um, buy wind energy from your energy company, but there's no direct link between uh, the turbine and your um, your home. So we really think that fair trade is a great first step in ensuring that um, like circumstances are improving. But um, and I said this before, like we feel that companies should really take full responsibility for um, well understanding where that product comes from and then taking responsibility for what happens on the farm. And um, yeah, for fair trade is, um, is a great program, but you really have to like, make sure that you're down there yourself and like, make sure that the circumstances are, um, yeah, are correct. 
And be engaged, and as you said, yeah. make those visits and show up without right. letting them know ahead of time that you. No, I mean really, like we really appreciate fair trade for what they are doing, and they really are making sure that circumstances are improving, um, that farmers do get paid um, paid more than under like the regular system, but there's still like a lot of improvement to be made in order to really eradicate illegal child labor in West Africa. And that kind of goes with my next question. How much money would it take for these farms to eliminate slave labor? So that's that's a good question. I can't exactly answer that, but like we do um, do a living uh, income analysis every year in Ghana and Ivory Coast, and we base our premiums on what we consider to be a living income for the farmers. So we also look into like how um, productivity can um, can be improved. So we do take some of that into account as well. We really are trying to like push the farmers to become more productive and also produce a better product. But um, yeah, our premiums are significantly higher um, than they are um, on like what the farmers could sell their product for on the on the world market. It's about like 25% over the world market price. Um, but that still only gets them really to what we consider to be just above the poverty level. I mean, that is not necessarily like a great lifestyle for them either. Mm. This is um, this is really sad. But um, let's yeah, we're going to take a quick break right now. It's great, uh, inter interesting information. But uh, let's take a quick break. More in just a moment. Don't go away, and we will have more with Peter Zandi. We'll be right back. Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high quality, great tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with Her Life Stages. The first of its kind, comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. And welcome back to the Mother's Market Radio Show. And we want to remind you that if you've missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for radio and listen to the past shows. Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now we're back to our interview with Peter Zandi from Tony's Chocolonely. And we're talking about slave-free chocolate and uh, Peter, you were telling me a little bit about how the company got started by a TV journalist, and I'm really interested in hearing about your story and how you're doing things differently, and also the name Chaka Lonely. Can you tell me a little bit about? Yeah, it is. Um, it is a very interesting story. Like we only like sort of like scratched the surface when mm -hmm. we talked about this earlier, but so I, I mentioned that like yeah, it was started by a TV show and an investigative uh, journalist, and this TV show is like yeah, the, the food police on TV. It's actually. It's a really funny show, and it still is running um, in the Netherlands. So, like after they had done some initial episodes on these issues in West Africa, and actually had gone to West Africa to like sort of like dig deeper and understand better um, 
how this all could actually uh, be happening. Um, they tried to like get like the large chocolate companies on TV and talk about uh, about this, but like they didn't really want to, um, yeah, like shine any uh, any more light, because of course like they were afraid that this would implicate them too much. And so they um, they were thinking through the, their options and maybe even like considering legal action. So they talked to some Dutch legal experts. Um, but very clearly, or very quickly, it became clear that they could never really like sue any of these large chocolate companies because they would just put an army of lawyers on it uh, and bankrupt them. So they came up with this sort of like innovative, um, innovative idea where they were gonna like have the journalists eat some chocolate bars, and um, basically ask the Dutch um, justice system to prosecute him, because in Holland, when you buy a stolen bicycle. Then knowingly it was stolen, you can be held accountable for that crime. So following that same logic, um, they had him eat these chocolate bars, and he called the police and said, like, hey, listen, I ate some chocolate bars. I know there's illegal child labor involved in the production of, uh, of cocoa. Um, that's not allowed under the Dutch law, so please prosecute me. Mm. And so he was. Like, so the Dutch justice system went ahead and, um, and prosecuted him, <laughs> And so he was not convicted. Um, and in the meantime, they, uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie was uh, re-released. And so they thought, like, okay, it would be a great idea for Nestle to maybe come out with a slavery-free uh, uh, chocolate bar. So, um, yeah, they talked about that, but they didn't want to do it. And then they decided, okay, well, we're just going to have to do this ourselves. Mm. So they, um, they went out, they found a chocolate manufacturer, and they asked him to, like, make 5,000 uh, chocolate bars. Um, just to show that they could do this differently. Um, this was never really meant to be a company. They just wanted to make a couple of chocolate bars and sell these uh, during the release of the, uh, the movie to create awareness around these, um, these issues. So the morning these chocolate bars went on sale, like they were being sold on like these little uh, kiosk on train stations. Um, the lines were like out of the hallway oh my gosh. and people were just buying <laughs> cases of these chocolate bars at the same time. Wow. So in just a matter of hours, they were sold out and then they called like the, the chocolate manufacturer again where they had bought these chocolate bars and said like, hey, um, we may need like a few more. And that's really what started the company, Tony so, Chocoloni. So Tony is the TV journalist. Yeah, his name really is Turn, but uh, that's an... Uh, an impossible name, uh, <laughs> and when he was calling to the U.S., like trying to get a hold of these U.S. senators, but they also talked to like Ben and Jerry's about doing something. He always had to spell out his name, and at some point he was like, "Okay, well, just call me Tony." And that's, <laughs> so that, that was way easier. That's so, a great yeah, story. They started wow. this company that way, and then from the very beginning, um, the mission of the company has not been um, about making chocolate. Um, the mission is to create a 100% slave-free chocolate industry. Wow. So we don't, and by that we don't only mean our own chocolate, but um, all chocolate worldwide. So for us, it's about creating awareness. It's about figuring out a model that can work for everybody else that really works towards like eradicating child slavery because we cannot simply do this by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, um, we need to inspire other companies to basically do what we do. Um, and there certainly are other great companies out there. Um, many of the companies that do direct bean-to-bar, 
um, production of that, uh, that chocolate. Um, they know what happens on the farm, but there's a lot of companies out there that, um, yeah, that simply don't know. And um, we really have to change the industry to have an impact in West Africa. That's really a great story, and I love it. It's, it's almost, it's not backward, it's actually very forward, and to make it not about chocolate, but about to change and shine a light on that. So good for you, and good for, um, good for Tony's chuckle only. Um, so what has your company done to create a slavery-free supply chain? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question, and, and that's really what it has always been, um, been all about. So, I mean, we sell chocolates to create awareness, and that obviously directly impacts the farmers that, um, that we work with. So the more chocolate we, um, we sell, the more cocoa we can buy, um, and that's good. But like yeah, like I just explained, like that doesn't that only is really a drop in the bucket. So we've been working on figuring out a model, and um, sixty percent of the cocoa in the world is bought from West Africa. That's where the issues are. So we decided that okay, well, we have to work in West Africa to really like understand how we can improve things there and what needs to change. And so over the years, we've come up with a supply chain model where we basically are working off like about five principles. And um, I think the first one is traceable beans, um, like creating traceability in the system. And for us, that meant not just simply doing that by buying our beans directly from West Africa and process processing that into our own chocolate, but really work with those large chocolate companies that we spoke about earlier that are sitting in the middle um, and create traceability in their system. Because once we do that with them, we can convince other companies that work in a similar fashion to do what we do. Um, so, and by creating traceability, we now know who the farmers are. So that means that we can pay the farmers a higher price. So we, we also touched upon this like a little bit earlier, but like we pay about like a 25% premium on top of the world market price. And we try to like, calculate every year what sort of like the living income is based upon like the world market price and then try to adjust our premiums um, in a manner that makes sure that the farmer can make uh, an income that just puts him above the, uh, the poverty level. So then we work with, um, so the third principle is that we work with like farmers organizations and we, um, we start long-term contracts. And that really helps the farmers and their communities to plan ahead. So they now know that like, we, will, we will be buying from them from several, for several years so they can start to like, invest money in um, maybe seedlings or other, uh, other things that can really help them grow more beans and also um, grow better beans. Um, so that kind of like leads into like, the, next, uh, the next step. So we have long-term contracts that helps like, to create a better quality and productivity, uh, which is like the fourth principle. And then we really help these farmers like to develop like strong farmer organizations. Like that also like is very much in line with what Fair Trade, for example, does, where we are really trying to build the cooper these cooperatives, so they have um, more power in um, uh, in the cocoa industry, and they can like stand up and like sort of like fend for themselves. Mm, that's wonderful that you've gone in there and you've really developed these business practices with them. Yes, and it's, um, I mean, they seem to be appreciative of, um, of what we're doing, but um, and we're really looking at this as a business relationship. Mm -hmm. So we don't go in there and uh, think of this as charity. We do, we do have a foundation right. where we sometimes um, help out these communities. Like if we say that, okay, well, the children need to go to school and there is no school, we may help them build a school. But at the end of the day, it's really 
a business relationship. And I think they appreciate that as well. Like they're not looking for a handout. They are just looking for a fair shake. Right. And it is not necessarily a handout, but you're giving them the, the tools and um, the yeah. practicality. I mean, you're giving them some. Right. Some I mean, re- it's about a fair price for that product. And, um, yeah, basically um, getting a fair deal. So what is the extra cost to the large companies to produce this chocolate? So when, when you look at, like, the cost of the beans in a chocolate bar, it's, it's really not that much. So I don't know exactly. Uh, we, I have an annual report here. Like, it's somewhere in there. Um, but it's maybe 15 to 20 cents um, of a chocolate bar is really the, um, the cost of ingredients um, of cocoa. So paying a little extra, paying um, like I don't know, twenty percent more or twenty-five percent more, isn't really like breaking the bank. Um, I think what's interesting about uh, about Tony's is that we show that we can make great chocolate, like great high-quality uh, Belgium chocolate, at an affordable price um, um, without illegal child labor. So I think, um, and that's what I love about this company, is that like we. Uh, we show that like you don't really have to make a sacrifice as a consumer. Like you can still buy um, a great chocolate at a uh, very good price um, and support a socially conscious mission. So um, the resources that you've just provided, that you were just talking about these principles, can you kind of come up with these plans to give to other chocolate companies and go in to give those resources to yes. them? Yes. So um, I think. I, uh, I th- earlier spoke a little bit about sort of like the, the three steps that we um, we work on. Like um, we have like this roadmap, and it's about creating awareness, um, setting the example, which is like the whole um, principles of supply chain sourcing mm-hmm. that we just spoke about, and then thirdly, inspiring other companies right. to um, to do the same. So I think in the United States we're only just getting started. So we are just building um, building awareness. Like we kind of have the models figured out because we've been doing this in Holland for um, for so long already. But in the Netherlands we really are trying to like take it to the next level. And so we've hired a team um, that we call like Tony's Inside mm-hmm. to really help other companies now do the same. Right. And that may depend on like what the company needs and how we uh, would help them. So we could either do this on a consulting basis. Mm-hmm and um, offer them like, to help um, set up the model similar as what we do. Um, or we may even go as far as just basically allowing other companies to buy, um, to buy our beans um, and, know, and thereby sort of like growing the impact that we have in, um, in West Africa. That's amazing. Um, so what can consumers do to help out? So I think... First of all, I think consumers, and this not only goes for chocolate, but goes across many different uh, categories, can look for like the fair trade or like another certification like Oots, for example, um, label in order to like make sure that they support um, better farming practices, um, um, higher prices being paid to the farmer um, across the world. So that's a great first step. Um, and then secondly, I think yeah, consumers also... Um, maybe need to realize that they, they have tremendous power um, with the dollars that they, um, they spend. So if they start to like become more conscious, and it's, it's difficult sometimes because like so, there's so many issues across all the different things that you, um, you may buy, but um, yeah, becoming more conscious about the effect that your spending has um, on an industry and making more conscious choices and like supporting 
more socially um, and environmentally responsible companies really can make a difference in pushing the larger companies to change the way they do business. And where can we buy Tony's Chocoloni, pardon me? Well, obviously, it's at Mother's Market, and uh, mm -hmm. they've been a great supporter. And But it's really like these companies that help us create like awareness with consumers and take the next steps. Great. Well, thank you so very much for your time, Peter, and some great advice, and we really appreciate your knowledge, and we look forward to having you on again. But in the meantime, you can get more information on Peter, and the website is tonieschocolonely.com. We look forward to your next visit. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mother's Market Radio Show and for shopping at Mother's Market. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Mm -hmm.